if you'd um, perhaps like to take the Bibles and turn to page 676, which is just about the last page in the Old Testament, you'll find uh, chapter 2 of the book of Malachi. Ed has asked me to introduce this reading in its sort of context and perhaps that's important to do because it is a very confronting reading. God is saying some pretty challenging and pretty demanding things to his people. His words are quite savage about taking relationships lightly and discarding them. Relationships with God, relationships with each other and in particular he picks out the precious relationship of marriage. And his words are very, very confronting. And I really can't finish this introduction without saying how critical and how wonderful it is that in spite of the harshness of those words that the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is available. As we've sung in a couple of the songs earlier this evening, that in his forgiveness, God gives us the grace to start again. Well, let me now turn to Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do. You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you've broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with a garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. We now turn to Romans 13, 1-7, which is on page 804 of your Bible. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority 
except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Nice to see you. Uh, my name is Paul. My name is Paul. I'm pastor here. Uh, we're in the book of Romans, so please keep that open, and I will pray for us. Uh, Father, we have sung of your victory and of your love and of your forgiveness and of your grace, and Lord, we love you. We love the way that you continue to transform us. We love the way that you continue to challenge us. Uh, we love the way that your word is so relevant. And so, Lord, please would you give us the heart, the mind, the will tonight that sits under the authority of your word. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Don't you love the fact that uh, your God is concerned about every part of your life. Our God is interested in every part of your life. God is concerned about the way that you relate to each other. He's concerned about the way that you relate as husband and wife, as parent and child, as a, as a friend. God is concerned about your work life, your attitude to work, the way that you relate to people at work. God is concerned about uh, your leisure life, your recreation life, your, your sex life, your celibate life, your financial life. God is concerned about the whole of your life. Your God loves you enough to, to instruct you on all those different areas of life. Isn't that amazing? That he loves you enough to tell you how to relate in all your different areas of life. Our headlines for these sermons is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, look at it with me. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, his loving kindness, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's saying, if you've responded to the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you know that you're your sins are forgiven. If you trust that that once-for-all death on the cross has brought you new life, if you love Jesus, then the whole of your life will be lived as a life of worship. 
And by that word worship, he doesn't just mean whether you, you raise your hands in song or not. Uh, by the word worship, he means that you give God his worth. You give God his honor, his glory that he deserves. Every moment of every day, in every part of your life. What's the song? Here I am, Lord, all of me. Take my life, it's all for thee. Every word that I speak, every thought that I think, every deed that I do, Lord, here I am. I want every part of my life to be acceptable to you. And that impacts every single relationship. And we've seen that flow in Romans 12 and 13. So it changes the way that you view your relationship with God. It changes the way that you view yourself. You don't have a too high view of yourself. It changes the way that we relate as church. Our love is sincere and it's not hypocritical. And tonight, if you're living a life of worship, it will change the way that you relate to those in authority over you. It will transform the way that you view governments and authorities and the police force and the magistrates and all those who God places over you in authority. The rule is there in chapter 13, verse 1. Suzanne, can you turn the background off? 13, verse 1, the rule is this. Submit to governing authorities. That's the rule. 13, verse 1, everyone must submit himself or herself to the governing authorities. Look at that first word, everyone. There's no exception, there's no exemption clause. He's saying that all people everywhere throughout the whole world, and that includes us as Christians, as a church, we must submit to the governing authorities. Now when you see that word submit in verse 1, what kind of things come to mind? Uh, see, when I, I, I hear the word submit, my immediate thought is that, sort of that, that negative feeling, you know, that, that unwilling, forced obedience. As a, as a child in the UK, we used to play a game called Mercy. Do you ever play that in, in the schoolyard where you get your hands and you're fighting and you're trying to force that person into submission? Or, you know, when you, you're rumbling, if you still rumble, uh, and you, sort of, you pin someone down and you're trying to force them to submit. And that's kind of how you see that word submit. And that's not how the Bible uses it. It's not, it's not a forced submission. Literally, the word is, uh, it's, it's a placing yourself under. You voluntarily and willingly place yourself under. It's that willing act of submission to say, I respect you, I respect the role you've been given. It's not a blind obedience, I respect your authority. Look at verse 1 again. Everyone must place themselves under respectfully, willingly, the governing authorities. Local, federal, tax office, policeman, right up to the, the prime minister. See what this verse is saying? It's saying that the God cares about the way that we respond to decisions made at our local council with our local mayor, Genia McCafferty. God is concerned about the way we relate to Gillian Skinner or to Joe Hockey. God cares about the way that you see traffic offences or 
your car registrations or your tax laws or your health benefits or the marriage laws. God is concerned about the way that you respond to Julia Gillard as Prime Minister. Verse 1 again. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Now before we unpack this, let me make a couple of quick comments. I'm speaking as, a, as an Englishman living in Australia. I think that Australians are incredibly anti-authoritarian. We, we pride ourselves in being anti-establishment. Uh, we love disrespecting. It's like a national sport, disrespecting. And you see it in the homes, where the kids disrespect their parents. You see it in the workplace, where the young workers disrespect the older workers. You see it in the church, where people just disrespect leaders. And you see it in our attitude towards authorities and governments. It's the way that we speak about it. It's the choices that we make and the way that we refuse to comply to regulations. I spot it in this Australian culture that we make decisions and choices depending on whether it will benefit me or suit me. And we willingly disrespect authorities. And if we've placed ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the Bible says God has placed people over you and we're called to submit. The second observation is that when you read Romans 13, our tendency as a church is to quickly cite all the, all the despotic rulers we can think of. And we rush to people like Hitler and Stalin and Idi Amin and Saddam Hussein, and we say, look at all those terrible rulers. How can God call us to submit to them? And we rush to all the exceptions looking for any reason why we can't obey this teaching. And we obscure the main point, which is that we are called to submit. That's the rule. Of course there are exceptions. And we'll look at those later. But remember the context that Paul is writing. He's writing to a church in Rome where the Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities hated Christians. And yet he still writes, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. That's the rule, submit to governing authorities. Here's the reason why. Two reasons. Firstly, that authorities are established by God himself. The reason that we submit is that God in his wisdom and his sovereign power has established those people over us. Uh, Three times he says that. Uh, Verse 1 again, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Here it is. There is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. He's trying to reinforce the point three times. He's saying, whoever is in authority over you has only been given that authority because God himself has placed them there. You've got to remember that only God has absolute power. Only God has the right to rule and to govern his entire world. Uh, But he does place men and women in authority, in governments. Uh, But nobody on this earth has the right to rule in and of themselves. The the government is established by God. 
Now, lots of politicians need to remember that, don't they? They're ruling under God's authority. I don't know whether you heard the, the Queen's speech about oh, eight years ago now, where in her, in her speech, she publicly acknowledged that she's under the authority of her God and asked that we pray that she'd remember that. And it's there throughout the Bible. Here's a couple of examples. Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He, God, changes times and seasons. He, God, sets up kings and deposes them. Daniel 4 verse 17. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And the Most High gives them to anyone he wishes. And he sets over them the lowliest of men. Or Proverbs 8 verse 15 says this. By me, by God... Kings reign and kings rule. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on earth. Or 1 Peter chapter 2 says this, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as, as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. See what it's saying? That every authority, every prime minister, every premier, Every president, every king, every noble has been placed there by God himself. And of course, there are corrupt ones. Of course, you've got these despotic, totalitarian regimes of the the Herods and the Neros of the New Testament and and the, the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Pol Pots and the Idi Armies. Of course, you've got them. And we'll talk about that later. But we here in Australia live in a very democratic country with a decent government. And we might not agree with every decision that they make, but God tells us to submit. It's there in verse 2. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So every time we choose to say no and to rebel against what the authorities say, He's saying we are rebelling against God because God established them. Let's think about that. As a Christian, if if you're trusting in the death of Christ, you have been rescued from rebellion against God. And so if you're somebody who claims to follow Jesus, every time you rebel against the authorities, you're actually saying, oh, I'm rebelling against God again. The second reason is this. That authorities, this is a shock, the authorities are God's servants. Three times he calls the, the authorities God's servants in this passage. Look at verse 4. For he, that is the, the authorities, is God's servant, or deacon is the word slave. He is God's slave to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He is God's slave, God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the, on the wrongdoer. Down to verse 6, this is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants. Doesn't that surprise you? Do you ever think of Julia Gillard as, as God's servant, or Kevin Rudd, or Barack Obama, or Joe Hockey? Uh, but they're placed by God as his servant. And, and that's a, a beautiful picture. Though. If you're here in church tonight and you know, you're a civil servant or you're a social worker or you're in the police force or you're a magistrate. 
uh, you're a servant of God. Now, how are these people servants of God? How can they be a servant of God if they don't claim to know God? And the answer is actually the, the, the role they've been given to do, the ministry they've been given to do. Here's their role. A government should, I say should, promote goodness and punish evil. That's their God-given task. To restrain wickedness and to reward goodness. Look at verse 3. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you, for he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer, promoting goodness, punishing evil, restraining wickedness, and rewarding goodness. That, that's what the government should do. That's what their role should be. So, so our government should be promoting security and safety in our society and caring for the poor and caring for the needy and loving the oppressed and, and loving the marginalized. They should be making good decisions about education and transport and defense that's good for the people. And they should be restraining evil. Uh, their job is to punish the wrongdoer, to arrest the criminal, to carry out justice, to place laws in this country that prevent crime and reduce oppression. So of course, the, the form of government will, will differ from country to country. Uh, but the basic role is the same. The dignity and the quality of the individuals to help you and I live good lives. It's fascinating. See, back in chapter 12, verse 19, look at it with me, 12, verse 19, uh, God says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Uh, and Paul is saying there, don't take the law into your own hands. Don't seek revenge. Uh, but one of the ways that God's wrath is shown here on earth, look down to 13, verse 4, uh, the government is God's servant, an agent of wrath in bringing punishment on the wrongdoer. So, so we don't take the law into our hands because God has placed people into our country to punish the wrongdoer. Now, I, I reckon most governments do a better job at, at punishing wrong than they do at promoting goodness. Uh, we should be really thankful that here in North Sydney that they recognize good works. So we received the community event of the year for doing our Christmas lunches. That's a recognition of good works. But we need to, we need to pray. Pray for our government that they would do their God-given role of promoting goodness and punishing evil. Here's a prayer from the prayer book. We pray that you will lead the nations of the world in the ways of righteousness and peace and guide their rulers in wisdom and justice for the tranquility and the good of all people. Bless especially your servant Elizabeth, our queen, her representatives and ministers, her parliaments, and all who exercise authority in this land. Grant that they may impartially administer justice, restrain wickedness and vice, and uphold integrity 
and truth. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? For those that God has established, that they would, withhold, they, would, they would uphold integrity and truth and justice. I'm going to pray right now. Father, we do pray for those in authority over us, for our Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, uh, for our Premier of State, Barry O'Farrell, for Genia McCaffrey, for Julian Skinner, for Joe Hockey, for all who have been placed in authority over us. Lord, I pray that these men and these women would govern us in righteousness and truth and integrity and in love to promote goodness and to punish evil. And I pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. So that's the rule, that's the reason. What's our response? I'm going to ask four questions. Here's the first question. Who should you vote for? If you're called to submit to those in authority, who should you vote for? Isn't that an amazing privilege that we can ask, be asking this question? Isn't that an immense privilege that you and I have actually the, the right to vote? And if you understand chapter 13 of Romans, you will think very carefully about how you vote. Now, I'm not saying you vote for the red team or for the blue team. All I'm urging you is that do your research. Uh, don't just vote for the party that your family has always voted for. Look at the policies. Read the policies. Vote for the person who, who you believe will most faithfully fulfill their duties of promoting goodness and punishing evil. Uh, ask questions like, uh, will this party punish the evildoer? Will they promote goodness here in Australia? Will they bring justice? And of course, that does mean that there are certain candidates that we as Christians should never vote for. We can never vote for them. Because they reverse the order. They, they promote evil. And they punish goodness. And I think it means we need more Christians in politics, don't we? We need more Christian men and women who are willing to go into politics to promote goodness and to punish evil. So think before you vote. Here's my second question, an easy question. What should be my attitude towards authorities? One word answer is submit. Verse 1. Everyone must submit. Now, what Paul is saying is once you've cast your vote and once the government has been decided, no matter who is elected, you submit. That's the mark of a true worshipper. And my generation kind of mocked this. We were the generation of no, we don't need no education. We don't need no self-control. I think today it's kind of that mild subversion, the, the questioning, the undermining, the, the reluctant tolerance. Well, look at verse 3. The rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. It's really quite simple. He's saying, you know, if you choose, if you make decisions to always obey the law, a simple example, if you always drive at the speed limit, then you'll have no fear when you're driving. You're not thinking, is there a speed camera coming up? Is there a policeman over there? Because you're actually doing what is right. Look at some more trivial examples. Dropping litter. Paying your train fare. Parking legally. 
The authorities say, no litter, this is the speed limit, this is the fare, this is where you can and can't park. And if you choose to say, actually, I, I really want to park there, what you're really saying is, Lord, I, I know you've placed people in authority, and I know that's a decision that they've made, but actually, I don't really care. And I'll do what I want for my benefit. And it's a trivial example, but it just shows our, actually, our attitude to those who have made the laws. See, the godly thing to do is to drive at the right speed, pay your taxes, park in the right places, because that's what godliness looks like. Uh, Ken Hughes says that uh, Christians should be the best citizens in the society. Uh, you might be thinking, oh, but do I have to obey a government whose policy I, I don't agree with? And the Bible would say, you know, on the whole, yes. You know, if, you don't, if you don't like their policy on the age of retirement or the cost of train fares or their immigration policies, and we do live in a country where we have a freedom of voice. You can write. You can voice your concerns. You can express how their decisions are having a negative impact on society. You've got the freedom to do that. And Christians should do that. But once you've voiced your concerns, you actually then submit to their decisions. Slightly different question here. Is it ever right? to disobey. How would you answer that one? Is it ever right to disobey authorities? Of course it is. Yes. Paul is not talking about this, this uncritical, unconditional, blind obedience. So listen carefully. When the government asks you to do something that violates God's commands. And when the government asked me to defy my God, I will defy the government rather than defy my God. Because God has delegated some powers, but he is still had in absolute power. He has absolute authority. And so when any government or authority reverses their God-given role, so if you live in a country where the governments were trying to promote evil, and punish goodness. If you live in a country where those in authority were celebrating violence and murder, then you don't obey them. You obey your God. And so this, if this government, if this human government ever commanded me to do things that God says I shouldn't do, then I obey God, not man. And if this government ever commanded me to do things which God says I can't do things that God says I should do, uh, then I obey God, not man. But I have to say they're the exceptions and not the norm. He's not talking about the sort of silly decisions that are made because governments are always made of sinful people and they'll always make decisions that we don't like. But we're still called to submit except, except when they ask us to violate the word of God. There's lots of examples in the Bible of that. Remember the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar is king and Nebuchadnezzar says, you must bow down to this idol. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego all said, no, we won't do that. We're going to obey God, not man. 
or when Darius was ruler and Darius said that uh, you can't pray for 30 days. What did Daniel do? Went straight to his room and he prayed. Or read the New Testament. Those early apostles were told that uh, they weren't allowed to preach the gospel. Acts chapter, nine, chapter 5 verse 29 says, No, we must obey God, not man. Some modern day examples. In South Africa, back in the early 90s, there was a, a bill that was passed to say that it's called the church clause for racial segregation. And the, the, the parliament was saying that in churches that black and white people can't actually mix together. And the church stood up and said, no, the gospel actually unites us and, and breaks down all racial barriers and we will not obey that. What is this if this government demanded that you pay some sort of tax that promotes immorality or promotes abortion or those moral issues? But you don't do that. What about if this government said that we as Christians were not allowed to meet together? We say, no, no, we're going to do that because we're Christians. I guess a, a very live issue at the moment is the whole gay marriage bill. Now, if that goes through, whatever your take on that is, I, as a clergyman who conducts weddings, I'm very fearful because the government could then turn around to me and say, that down the track, they could say, no, all clergymen must marry people who want to get married, regardless of gender or sexuality. And at that point, I would say, no, I'm going to obey God and not men. You see, we're to submit right up to the point where obedience to the state would entail disobedience towards God. If the state commands things that God forbids or forbid things that God commands, we obey God, not man. And that's where you need to be wise and we need to be discerning. What does the word of God say here? Because this is my authority. And I reckon that's where the discussions on Hitler's and Stalin's and Saddam Hussein come to play. These, these, these men that we saw in the Voice of the Martyrs video, they've actually have not submitted to authorities. They've continued to talk about Jesus. They've chosen to disobey. And look at the consequences. That's the reality, my friends, for us as Christians. If we choose to obey God, not man, we might face serious, serious consequences. Here's my, my last question. The question on all your lips. Must I always pay my tax? What's the answer to that one? Must I always pay my tax? Yeah. Of course you should. Uh, Jesus said, Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And the Apostle Paul says, verse 6, This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who, who give their time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So taxes have always been part of our, our world. The poll tax, the land tax, the import tax, the export tax. And as Christians, we're to pay our full due. There's a shocking survey done in 2005 where 19% of people approved of cheating on your tax returns. 
One in five people says, yeah, go, good for you, go, go, go for your life. Cheat on your tax returns. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should not be part of that one in five. So if you disagree with the carbon tax, when it becomes law, you pay it. When you're filling your tax returns, you don't fill the numbers. When you inherit some money or sell some houses or sell some land, you pay capital gains tax because that's what the government have said. But what, what, what really got to me this week and really challenged me it's not just the fact that we pay the tax. It's the manner in which you pay the tax. Verse 7, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe ev- revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. You don't just pay begrudgingly. You don't slander them behind their backs. You hold these people who make these decisions in the highest regard. I reckon that's a challenge, isn't it? The way that we speak about the tax laws. If you ever read a biography of the great evangelist, Billy Graham, what struck me was that his attitude towards the presidents and those in authorities. He was one of the most highly regarded men in the USA. Not just because of his good works, but the way that he related to those in authority, the presidents and the rulers. And my challenge for us tonight, my friends, or God's challenge for us tonight, is that God has a word to say into the way that you relate to governments. Don't you love that? God doesn't just care about the way you relate to each other here in church, but he has a word for you tonight as to the way that you relate to those in authority over you. Australia might be anti-authoritarian, but we as Christians shouldn't be. We shouldn't conform to the world. We should conform to the word of God and shine like stars in this universe. Let's submit joyfully, prayerfully. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word, which is so practical and so relevant. Lord, please change our hearts and our attitudes. Make us prayerful for those in authority over us and help us to willingly submit. I ask that for Jesus' sake.